Brothers and sisters, we live in the age of the cancel culture. Marion Dictionary defines cancel culture as the practice or tendency of engaging in mass canceling as a way of expressing disapproval and exerting social pressure. So in other words, to cancel something is to rally people in mass to either threaten or to actually withdraw support from a person, an institution, or an idea. Honestly, the practice of canceling is the practice of trying to destroy something. It's called canceling now, but throughout history, this has simply been called the mob, the mob mentality. This is an idea, this canceling, this mob mentality is an idea that, that, that had its beginnings in the world. We saw the canceling culture begin in, in Hollywood and in various forms of, of the social media left. But as so often happens, what, what begins in the world, Satan then uses that to, to slowly bring it into the church and infiltrate the church. As George Santayana wrote, those who cannot remember the past are destined to repeat it. And throughout history, throughout history, the mob mentality, the, the canceling mentality has existed within the Christian church. Many, many devastating things, many Christian mobs have done horrible things in the name of Jesus. It, it, we see it in the early church, which we'll look at today. The Crusades, burning of heretics to the propaganda supporting racism and slavery. There's always been a fringe of God followers who succumb to the mob mentality. Today it's coming back in spades in the internet. There are an incredible number of blogs and, and social media feeds who, make, who may be well-meaning, but who feel like it's their calling to invoke their own form of mob justice. We know that, in fact, history does not repeat itself, but, but as Mark Twain said, history does rhyme, and we are living in a world that is rhyming with the past. Whereas in the past, they used stones and torches to destroy people, our mobs now use social media, email, and threatening words. Why am I talking about the mob? Because we're continuing our series in the book of Acts. And today in Acts chapter 14, the mob, the mob mentality, plays a dominant role in this entire chapter. The Bible illustrates in this chapter the well-meaning of folk who claim to be followers of God. We'll see that the mob originates out of a group of people who believe they are defending the cause of God shows us that, 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 that well-meaning folk who claim to be followers of God are susceptible to becoming the mob themselves. I am capable of becoming part of the mob. You are capable of becoming part of this mob mentality. In fact, some scientists ha have, have asked, uh, stated that, 
that they believe this susceptibility is hardwired into our brains. Years ago, in one of our Adventist periodicals, Herbert Douglas wrote an article in which he addressed the dangers of the mob mentality and how such a mentality will impact our church, our very church, in the last days. And he referenced in this article a study done by Gregory Burns, a neuroeconomist out of Emory University in Atlanta. And this neuroeconomist and his team discovered that if negative information is given to a person and that person does not have all the facts or even is just uncertain about a situation, that automatically that person's fear center in their brain, the amygdala, begins to light up. It begins to flash. Through studies, Burns determined, and I quote, our brains are hardwired to accept the group opinion of the world. What does that mean? That means that if, if someone starts yelling, fire, fire, and you're uncertain that there is or is not a fire, you might start to join them in screaming, fire, fire. If someone yells, injustice, injustice, and you're not sure whether injustice has happened or not, you might start to scream, injustice. If someone screams unfair, unfair, and you're not sure if something has been unfair or not, you might start to scream unfair, unfair. Or as the Bible tells us, if someone starts to scream peace, peace, and calm, there's nothing to worry about, you might decide to go with the group's opinion and start to scream peace, peace, and calm. Whatever the mob screams, we are hardwired to join in that mob. This is what happened in our story in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 14. If you have a Bible, you can join me. I'd encourage you later to read through the entire chapter of Acts chapter 14. But we'll be looking at a few verses here and there. In Acts chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now at Iconium, they, that is Paul and Barnabas, the apostle Paul and his colleague Barnabas, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. And then listen to this. But the unbelieving Jews, that means Jews that did not believe in Jesus, stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. The mob in Acts chapter 14 begins in this way. A group of people were concerned, fearful about what was being taught by Paul and Barnabas. And so they rallied others and they began to poison the minds of others to take a stand against Paul and Barnabas. The mob rule, cancel culture, it begins with an idea being shared with a group of others with the direct purpose of creating support to destroy, to cancel, to metaphorically stone others. And y'all, if science is right, then we are susceptible to this. You can say, no, 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 no. I would never join the mob. I would never be a part of the mob. I would never be a part of the cancel culture. I would, I would never, I would never. If we are not susceptible, then why are there so many warnings in the Bible about guarding our minds? If we are not susceptible, why is there so many warnings in the Bible about, about Jesus telling us to, to guard the new believers so that they will not be deceived? 
If, if there are so many, if we're if we're so so strong against this temptation, then then why are there so many warnings where God tells us to be cautious that we are not deceived by others? If we are not guarding our brains, we are all at risk of becoming part of the mob mentality. When we are saying, how can they say that? Or how can they believe that? Or how they, can they repeat that? Or how can they be so unkind? I should pause. We should pause and search to see, have I done likewise in the past? Am I doing likewise in some manner right now? Am I listening to the mob and being affected by the mob? When we don't know something fully and we get the negative into our brains, the fear areas in our brains light up. And this is one of the ways in which Satan is going to try to destroy the church in the last days. If you don't believe it, let me share with you a little counsel from a wonderful writer named Ellen White. She wrote this. We are approaching the end of earth's history and Satan is working as never before. He is striving to act as director of the Christian world. Satan is saying, he's trying, she's telling us that Satan is trying to act as the director of the Christian world with an intensity that is marvelous. He is working with lying wonders. In other words, working to deceive minds. He will, through his agencies, manifest so great a power under a pretense of Christianity that if it's possible, even the very elect shall be deceived. She's quoting there Matthew 24 and verse 24. So today I want to learn how to recognize the mob mentality and then commit to responding the way that Paul and Barnabas did and most of all, the way that Jesus always responds to the cancel culture, the mob mentality of our world. First, the mob mentality of the world that enters the church, enters through the ideas, primarily of believers attacking other believers. We, we spend a lot of time saying that the world is such a threat to the church. But, but folks, listen to this. Again, a quote from Ellen White. We have far more to fear, she says, from within than from without. The hindrances to strength and success are far greater from the church itself than from the world. The mob comes into the church and begins to poison people's minds. But the second characteristic to identify the mob is this. The mob is willing to join forces with whomever is willing to support it. Look at verse two again in chapter 14. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Stirred up the Gentiles. We've, we've noted in many sermons that I preached from this pulpit and, 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 and it's replete throughout the Bible. The Jews did not associate with Gentiles. And yet, if you read the Bible, you see that this is true with exceptions. And those exceptions are when it was convenient for the Jews to achieve their end agenda. Suddenly, these Jews who believe they are holding to the principles of God are willing to become allies, to become bedfellows with unbelievers to achieve their end goal. 
one of the most famous mobs in biblical history, the most famous mob in biblical history, is the mob that, that, that called out for the death of Jesus. This was a mob of, of believers that, that wanted nothing to do with Rome, and yet they joined with Rome to kill Jesus. The first characteristic of the mob is that it, it's, it's when ideas start to come in and poison the minds of believers. The second characteristic is that the mob often joins and becomes allies with strange bedfellows. Abnormal allies. Allies that do not truly represent Jesus or who he is or what he is about. I was guilty of this years ago. In fact, it was not long after I moved here to Maryland, so about seven years ago. I'd been writing on a particular subject on my blog and in other forums for something that I believed in. And in fact, I still believe in that subject and support that subject. But my, my writing was garnering me some allies, strange allies, we might say. Allies that normally would not see eye to eye with me nor I with them. And one of my mentors in his older and wiser ways cautioned me. He said, Chad, don't write to inflame people or to garner support of certain persons. Why not? Isn't this the way to get my message out? And he told me not to get too excited about the group's support. Because when I take another position, and he mentioned a specific position I may take down the road, those same people will immediately turn on you. He recognized that I, that I recognized what I didn't. I was rallying the mob, but that mob was ultimately not a group of people that I wanted to be allies with. I cared more about my issue than whom I was aligning myself with and how that would impact my reputation and the reputation of God. My mentor was telling me to check myself, and he was right. If we see people aligning with groups or individuals that we, are, that we know are not in alignment with the Word of God, groups that, that do not act in a way that, that demonstrates Christian behavior and Christian composure, we should take pause to make sure we are not following that mob mentality. A third characteristic of the mob is this. Mobs bring division. Chapter 14 again. So they remain for a long time, this is the disciples, speaking and preaching and then jumping down to verse four. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Have any of us felt division in our midst? Ha has the last year, year and a half, caused not just differences of opinion, but actual feelings of being divided based on so many of us following our own mobs on either side of an issue or a conflict? Mobs begin by people mentally manipulating a situation. Mobs are made up of an, uh, unlikely allies, and mobs bring division. The fourth characteristic mo of mobs is this. If they don't get what they want, they always, 
always become more aggressive. Verse 5 tells us that, that, that when, when the words that the Jews were spreading against the Gentiles did not work, an attempt was made by Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat Paul and Barnabas and to stone them. They went from speaking against Paul and Barnabas and against the disciples to mistreating them to wanting to stone them. Mobs always become more aggressive. The cancel culture always becomes more aggressive. What is the difference between a mob and a crowd? What is the difference between a righteous movement and an unrighteous movement? An unrighteous movement, a mob, the cancel culture always becomes more aggressive. In Paul's day, this was stones and torches and beating people. In our day, it is words. And the words become more and more aggressive. Let me read something to you from a social media post in a Christian forum. This was against an institution within our community of faith. And there was a group that had a disagreement with said institution. There was, at the time that I last knew, over 400 plus comments. And a dialogue was taking place online. And, and one person suggested going and meeting with the leaders of the institution. And in response to that, another Christian wrote the following. A well-worded negative social media blast can often be more effective at triggering change than an in-person confrontation. This person then went on to say, go to their social media pages and blast them. What do we see here? The mob mentality. Something isn't working. Things aren't changing. I am not getting what I want. Let us become more threatening. Let us try to blast them on social media. Let us shame them into submission or even destroy them if we have to. The internet, the typed out words of the masses the, are the modern day stoning of our society. Mobs always grow more aggressive. They always grow more aggressive. Paul and Barnabas, they eventually leave that city and then they go to another city in Acts chapter 14. If you read it for yourself, you'll see. They go to another city and they're, they're preaching again the gospel. And, and when some other believers learn about, when the, when the Jews learn about this from the other cities, they follow them to the new city. It's not enough for them that they've left their city. Now they're following them to another place. They're, they're stalking them. And then they rallied that crowd in that city. And their aggression continues to grow. This culture, we're going to follow you and make sure you are destroyed. Ellen White, writing in her commentary on the Acts of the Apostles, writes this, the mob, she calls them the mob herself, upon learning of the success of the apostles' work among the Lyconians, had determined to follow them and persecute them. On arriving at Lystra, these Jews soon succeeded in inspiring the people with the same bitterness of spirit that actuated their own minds. Remember, mobs always begin with the mind. By words of misrepresentation, here's that words, and calumny, those who had recently regarded Paul and Barnabas as divine beings 
were persuaded that in reality, the apostles were worse than murderers and were deserving of death. The disappointment that the Lysterians had suffered in being refused the privilege of offering sacrifices to Paul, to the apostles, prepared them to turn against Paul and Barnabas with an enthusiasm approaching that with which they had hailed them as gods. And the result this time is that Paul and Barnabas don't simply get to leave a city. This time, Paul was actually stoned. Y'all, if we don't recognize the mob, we are capable of being the mob. The mob begins with ideas placed strategically by others through the power of Satan into people's minds. Half-truths. Words that, that only reflect one side of the story. It then moves from there, from, from, from there to, to causing division amongst the believers. It moves from there to a more aggressive position. We're not getting what I want, so we're going to become more aggressive in the way in which we work. And it creates unusual allies, unusual allies. But as believers and followers of Christ, Jesus, we must be on guard that we never, never become part of the mob. Even when we disagree, we should never join the mob mentality. Even when we have been harmed, we should never respond to the perceived or even legitimate wrongs by embracing the mob culture of our day. Doing so goes completely against the spirit and the mission and the calling of Jesus. Luke chapter 9, in your Bibles, Luke chapter 9, there's this great story in Luke chapter 9. And beginning in verse 51, I'm reading from the New King James Version now. Now it came to pass when the time had come for Jesus to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face. That means before him. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for Jesus. But they, that is the Samaritans, did not receive Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, listen to what they said. They said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Now think about this, y'all. These disciples, what are they doing? They're defending Jesus. The Samaritans said, he's not welcome in our town. We don't want him here. Pass by somewhere else. They insulted Jesus. They disrespected Jesus. They devalued Jesus. They refused to receive Jesus. And the disciples want to bring justice for this behavior that they believe is wrong. And by the way, is it wrong to refuse to receive Jesus? Yes, always. But how does Jesus feel about the need to make things right and get justice for how the Samaritans have responded to him? Look at verse 55. 
if you're there in Luke chapter nine. But Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. And then verse 56, for the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Y'all, we live in a world that says justice over all other things, even if it destroys someone, even if it injures someone, even if it harms someone, whether it's true or not true, justice above all things. But Jesus says, this is not the spirit that I have come in. Y'all, if Jesus did not allow his disciples to respond to a true wrong by the spirit of the world, who am I to think that I can respond in the manner that the world responds? Who am I to think that I can join the mob that is out there? Who am I to think that I can bring the mob mentality into the church to cancel people, to cancel institutions, to shame people into submission? That leads me to the following. If the mob does come, and the mob will come for me, and for you if we remain loyal to Jesus. How should we respond? First, and most important is this, when the mob comes, we lean into mission, the mission of Jesus. When the mob gets loud, we get even louder about Jesus. What did the Bible say in Acts chapter 14? But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles against the apostles. So Paul and Barnabas, listen to what it says they did. Remain for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord. The, the mob was getting louder and trying to dissuade people. And what did Paul and Barnabas do? They didn't spend their time coming up with plans on how to oppose the mob. No, they just spoke more boldly about Jesus. When the mob gets loud, you get louder about Jesus. When the mob works hard, you work harder for Jesus. When the mob gets threatening, don't linger in those threats. Call on Jesus. The second thing that we see that the apostles did is that when the mob said, hey, we're going to stone you, and they got clear word from God, they just moved on. They removed themselves from the situation, verses five through seven. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, Paul and Barnabas learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconian and to the surrounding country. And there, by the way, listen to this, they continued to preach the gospel. When able folks, just remove yourself from the situation. That argument that is online, that attack online, you don't need to stay in it. Just leave, move on and focus on Jesus somewhere else. When the mob is coming for us, we continue to talk about Jesus and focus on the mission and not let the mob distract us. When the mob is coming for you, if possible, just remove yourself from the situation. Have you ever responded to a comment on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram that you wish, oh man, I had not responded to that? Me too, me too. But you know what else we do? We let things cool down and then we go back into the setting. Too many of us leave a situation and never return 
to work for Jesus in that area the way we should. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 19, but Jews from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel of that city and had made many disciples, then listen to this, listen to this. They returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening, encouraging those people that they had witnessed to previously to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. The apostles left things to cool down and they went to Derby, and it seems like they got a lot of support there. But when they had preached the gospel of that city and had many disciples, Ellen White says it like this, undaunted by the danger, they returned again to the cities that so desperately wanted to destroy them. Y'all, there's still people being impacted by those mobs, even in those mobs that Jesus wants to reach. So we can't just abandon them forever. Y'all, true believers of Jesus never join the mob. They avoid the mob whenever they can. When they can't, they take their lumps and they just keep focusing on the mission of Jesus. And with undaunted courage that only comes from walking daily with Jesus, they go back to where the mob dwells to be witnesses again. And then one last example that comes from Jesus himself, our perfect example, Jesus Christ. The night that Jesus was arrested, an ungodly, a Satan-filled mob came to arrest Jesus. And they grabbed Jesus. And we're told in John chapter 18 and verse 10 that when they grabbed Jesus, Simon Peter drew out his sword and he struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The high priest's name was Malchus. And what did Jesus say in this moment when Peter cut off that man's ear? We're told in Matthew chapter 26, verses 52 and 53, that Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. In other folks, if we join the mob, eventually we will become victims of the mob. If we join the cancel culture, eventually we will become victims of the cancel culture. And then Jesus said to him this, do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? What is Jesus saying? Peter, if I wanted, I could rally a mob more intimidating than the one that is before us. Peter, if I wanted to, I could, I could rally a mob that would destroy all of this mob. But he said, but that is not my mission. And then Jesus did something most of us don't think about doing when we are attacked by the mob, when we are on the receiving end of the mean blogs, when we are on the receiving end of that mean email, when we're on the receiving end of that deceitful social media post. Jesus reached out and he touched Malchus's ear and it was healed. Jesus, when confronted with the mob, treated the members of the mob with love. And then Jesus went from there to the cross to die for that mob, and not only for that mob, to die for you and me, whose sins also killed Jesus. When the mob threatens 
respond in love. When the mob bullies, show gentleness. When the mob injures, try to heal. This is something you and I can't do on our own. We can only do it with Jesus. Therefore, we must take the words from Galatians chapter two. And we must be crucified with Christ. That means we let Christ into our hearts, into our lives every single day so that we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. The mob is very real in our world and it will only get worse against true believers of Jesus as time goes on. And this mob will not be the world out there. This mob will be our brothers and sisters who sit in church with us. This mob may be members of our own family. But folks, if we keep our eyes open and allow Jesus to actuate our minds, and every day surrender to Jesus, and say, Jesus, live in me and live through me, then truly, truly, Jesus will not only protect us from the mob and keep us from becoming the mob, he will show us how to love those in that mob. And then, folks, and then we will be Christians, not just in name, but in life and action and heart. Lord Jesus, in this world of mob mentality, in this world of cancel culture, teach us how to be true Christians. Keep our eyes and our hearts and our minds open to avoid the snares of the mob or becoming the Mike the mob. But Lord Jesus, this is only done as Christ lives in us as the hope of glory. I pray all this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.